This morning we're going to give thanks with a grateful heart. That's our sermon title, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. I want you to turn to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. We're going to be looking at a few verses of Malachi chapter 3. It's the time of the year when we display lots of food that not only tastes good, but it smells nice as well. It's wafting, the smell's wafting up before me here, and it smells lovely. And we need to be thankful to all who provided the food uh, and brought it into our church. This yearly event can be seen as a time of giving back to God a tiny fraction of what God has already given us. All the food that you can see here today will be given back to God in as much as it will be auctioned off tomorrow and then the proceeds will be used to help finance the work in India and no doubt the beneficiaries in India will be thankful to God for his gracious provision to them and to God be the glory. This morning we're going to consider what it is that we give to God And more importantly, what God gives to us, his extremely undeserving creatures. For example, for one thing, because of the promise that God made to Noah after the flood, we can be thankful to him for all the food that he provides us with an absolute assurance from him that as long as the earth remains, Seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. We have that assurance from God. We can give thanks to God for making the sun rise on everyone, on the evil, on the good. And we can thank God for sending his rain to water the crops and to fill our reservoirs. Beyond that, and most of all, if you are a Christian, you can be eternally thankful to God, the giver of every good gift, every perfect gift, for giving you his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living bread who came down from heaven to save his people from their sins. All of you who are trusting in Jesus, the bread of life, you have tasted him and you have seen that he is good. Blessed are you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ if you are someone who has received him as your saviour from sin and you have believed in his name. The blessings that you have from above include the forgiveness of not just some but all your iniquities, all your sins. God has redeemed your life from destruction. He has set your feet upon the rock whose name is Jesus. You have everlasting life. You have peace with God, who you now know as your heavenly father. You have a heavenly inheritance. You have a saviour who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross. What more could you possibly ask for? What more could you possibly want? Because in Christ, you have everything. 
Not only have you tasted Jesus and seen that he is good, you are someone who I trust feeds and feasts upon him daily. And you are sustained by him, by his grace, a grace that saved you from your sins and a grace that will take you home to be with him in heavenly glory. You continually feast upon Jesus as you read his word and you let that word richly dwell in you. You meditate upon that word. And of course, you do that word for the glory of God and with thanksgiving in your heart. Jesus is the light of the world and he is the son of righteousness who has shined upon you and God has made him shine in your heart. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in your heart, dear Christian. However, coming back to us and to what we give to God, let's have a look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through to 9 again. Verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. The book of Malachi was written sometime after the Jews of old were released after 70 long years in captivity in Babylon. That was God's judgment upon them because of their rebellion against him. A rebellion that included the worship of false gods, idols, and also they sacrificed their children um, to those false gods. Yet astonishingly, no sooner had they returned to Jerusalem and restored the temple, we can see in these verses that the Lord continued to have a controversy with them, charging them with stealing from him in tithes and sacrifices, robbing God. Who would have thought it? Inasmuch they were not giving to God the glory due unto his name, Putting it very simply, the offerings that they were giving to the Lord were defiled and they were anything but sacrificial. An example of that can be seen in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where the Lord said, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And actually, when it comes down to it, we probably wouldn't dare offer to our governor or our boss or 
our friends, anyone, some of the things that we offer to God. Consequently, as can be seen in chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord cursed them with a curse. He cursed his old covenant people with a curse. Under the Old Testament law, at least a tenth of everything was given to the Lord. And even before the nation of Israel existed, we can see examples of tithing in the Bible. For example, in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20, Abraham, a man who was the great-grandfather of the patriarchs of Israel, he defeated various kingdoms and then he gave to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, a tenth of all the spoils that were taken from the enemy. And in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 22, Jacob, who was the father of the patriarchs, vowed to give a tenth to the Lord. It's very different, however, for you as a Christian. And I'm not going to stand here and, and tell you what you need to give to the Lord. Whatever you give is between you and the Lord who knows precisely how much you give and he knows the thoughts and the intentions of your hearts. He knows whether you are giving willingly and with thanksgiving in your heart or else whether you are giving begrudgingly and perhaps with a view to getting something back from God. As such, fractions don't really come into it, whether it's a tenth or anything else. It's your heart and what God sees in your heart that matters. The trouble is that Christians can very easily rob God, just like the Jews of old did, by not giving sacrificially. There is an example of real sacrificial giving by God's people in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 12. I'll read verse 41 through to the end of the chapter. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. I don't know how much that's worth today, but suffice to say it was pretty much nothing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow have cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her Want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Under the Old Testament law, at least a tenth was given. She didn't give a tenth, she gave everything. Yet the wisdom of the world would go no further than to dismiss the poor widow's tiny offering as an irrelevance. Yet Jesus said that she cast in more than the rest of them. 
more than those people who were putting in their tenth of their abundance or whatever they were putting in the treasury. He was looking way beyond the amount. He was looking into the heart of the person who made the offering. A woman who's trusting God to provide for her and to meet her needs was evident in the sacrificial giving of everything that she had. However, when it comes to sacrificial giving, it's not just about the money that you give towards the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. It includes your time as well. Two things that we can think of here that God has given us, money and time. We can use both wisely or unwisely. Do you set aside time to worship God and to worship him alone, reading his word, praying to him, as we do indeed in the church? Not just a few minutes in between doing other things. How does it compare with the time that you spend watching the television, for example, or browsing on the internet? social networking or whatever it is you do is it your heart's desire to give of your time as well as your substance or is that asking too much of you we've considered your god given money and time and how much of it you give back to god but actually it goes way beyond that because if you are a christian you are a priest of the Most High God. And priests offer gifts and they offer sacrifices to God. The Lord Jesus Christ has already offered himself when he laid down his life as as an atonement for your sin. However, it is your reasonable service, it is your act of worship to present not just your money and your time, but your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Dear Christian, are you really drawing on the grace of God to do that, to present your body as a living sacrifice to God? Can you really sing from the bottom of a grateful heart the hymn that we just sung a few minutes ago, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Sounds like a prayer to me. When we sing that, do we pray that to God most earnestly? A Christian's faith in Jesus will not only be heard in his words of testimony at his baptismal service, but also it ought to be seen in a variety of ways, such as in acts of practical love for other Christians. Whatever you do for the least of the brethren, you do for Jesus Christ your Lord. Not out of duty, but it's something you do. Why? Because you're a Christian. And that's what Christians do. They're motivated by a love for Jesus and a love for the brethren. As for all those people who aren't Christians, such as your schoolmates or your work colleagues, Do you show them love by telling them about the Saviour, about his Calvary love for unlovely and and seemingly unlovable sinners like us? When was the last time you spoke to someone, a friend of yours, 
about Jesus. Also, a Christian's faith ought to be seen in a joyful willingness to suffer, to suffer persecution and even to die for Christ's sake. I now want to address all of you who are not yet trusting in the Son of God as your Saviour from sin and your Lord. Here on our beautiful island, God continues to give us so much, including an abundant harvest each year. Yet for all that, the vast majority of the population chooses to curse God and to rebel against him. Rather than give thanks to him for all the good things that they have, including the food on their tables and the the food in their cupboards and fridges. It's a rebellion that is encouraged by our politicians. For example, in recent years, we've seen our leaders taking counsel against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And to the applause of many, they have enacted ungodly laws. For example, the vast majority of our legislators voted in favour of allowing same-sex couples to get married, despite it being a clear violation of God's sacred laws on marriage, which declare that a man shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. The chief minister at the time triumphantly and defiantly said, recognition of marriage for same-sex couples in Manx law is a truly historic moment showing just how far the island has travelled over the past 30 years. It sends out a clear message that the Isle of Man today is modern, open and inclusive where equal rights are respected. It wasn't long afterwards that the Manx politicians were at it again when they succeeded, almost unopposed by the islanders, to relax the island's laws and to kill even more babies. Am I alone in thinking that this island is ripe for the wine press of God's wrath? and that it deserves nothing from God other than judgment. Yet despite this nation being in rebellion against God and waving its puny fist towards heaven in open defiance, God still gives us all that our bodies need. In fact, most of us have more than we need. And God is still saving rebellious people like you and me from our sins by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ whom he has sent into the world. Earlier on, I read from John chapter 3. I'm going to turn back to that. I think we all know verse 16 or just about all of us know verse 16 in John chapter 3. I'll read it again for you. Talking about what God gives to us here. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
There's an explanation for that verse. There's a lovely explanation and you don't have to look far. All you have to look at is the preceding two verses. Look at verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's pretty much identical to the second part of verse 16, isn't it? Well, now we go up to verse 14 and that will explain the first part of verse 16. If you want to know what it means, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the answer to that is in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. About 1500 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, the Jews were in the wilderness, wandering around in the wilderness. God had delivered them with an outstretched arm from slavery in Egypt. He'd he divided and separated the Red Sea for them and made a corridor for the Israelites to pass through. Millions of them passing through that corridor. And then the Red Sea closed over Pharaoh and his armies. God fed them bread from heaven. And he gave them water from a rock. And yet they rebelled against him. They'd seen his grace and his mercy towards them his loving kindness towards them and still they rebelled and so Moses was instructed commanded by God to raise a serpent up on a pole and whoever looked at that serpent that raised serpent did not perish there were fiery serpents um, slithering around the ground with uh, venomous serpents and those who looked up to the, the, the brazen serpent on the pole were not affected by all those serpents, venomous serpents on the ground. But those who did not look up, well, they suffered the consequences. They were bitten by those venomous serpents. Presumably, they perished. You think about it, if you'd been there at the time, you may have thought, well, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to look up at um, a, a stupid brazen serpent. What's that going to do? Maybe there was those who steadfastly refused, too stubborn, too proud to look up at that serpent. Whatever, various reasons. But there were people who would have looked up at that brazen serpent that Moses held high and they were spared. They were delivered, even though... They were rebellious sinners. Well, Jesus has fulfilled that. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up upon that cross. And whosoever believes in him, whoever looks up to Jesus on that cross, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is what it means, God giving his son. Sending him into this world as the sacrificial lamb to be lifted up upon that cross as a lamb to the slaughter.
By far, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ transcends anything else that God has ever given to sinful men, women and children. Therefore, the days of receiving the food that you eat, the air that you breathe, without even acknowledging your giver, the giver of those things, Almighty God, must be over for all of us in here. Never again should you put a morsel of food in your mouth without giving thanks to God, or at least acknowledging God. Show repentance towards God for your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. May your heart be filled and overflowing with love for God and thanksgiving to him for all that he gives, continues to give daily and for giving you his son to be your saviour from sin and to be your Lord. Amen.